First Timothy, starting in chapter 4. He really shifts from where he was. He finished the last chapter talking about the mystery of godliness. And now he starts talking about what will happen uh, you know, at the end times. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Well, this might sound familiar to us. Um, So, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits uh, and teachings of demons. So, we have a lot of strange philosophies these days that are ruling people, swaying crowds, and they're, you know, led by the insincerity of liars. We see a lot of that. Forbidding marriage, we see a you know, a lot less marriage, uh, and then marriage the way it's supposed to be being corrupted, and then requiring the absence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. So you see this everywhere. There are are all kinds of fads of people acting like this food or that food is is bad and people stopping. But but more so, you have a a big push in the world. I, I don't know if it'll gain enough steam that they're really trying to make us do it, but you have uh, a, a lot of people, Green New Deal and movements to stop the eating of meat. So it's interesting to see these things kind of <laughs> coming about in our time. Some departing from the faith. Of course, we've talked about that recently. That's We've seen that here for the last few decades. And, and again, I think it will happen in, in uh, greater measure. So Paul tells Timothy, if you put these things before the brothers, uh, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So he's saying, hey, it's good to stay in shape physically, but far more to stay in shape spiritually. Live a godly life, and that will benefit you not only now, but into the future. Your physical body, that won't matter in, in the future, and you know, in the, in the life after this one. But godliness will be with you forever. The work that you put in there will always be with you. And he says this idea is uh, a trustworthy saying and deserving full acceptance. And then he also says that for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. So he says we have our focus. We live our life in faith of a living God and not of this world. So our focus is on this spiritual life. 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy was still young, so he says, don't let them look at you that way. I've been training you since you were very young. So although you're still young, uh, you know, physically, I've been training you for many years spiritually, and you're ready for this. 
but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So he says, you know, spend your time publicly teaching and reading Scripture. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So he's mentioned this again. We don't, it doesn't say what the gift was, but he says not to neglect it. He says this was given to you by prophecy, by the elders, laying their hands on you. And so practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So he says live this gospel and others will be blessed by it. The the Grace of God will come from you and touch those who you are ministering to. And then we're on to chapter 5. And he starts to talk about how we should fellowship with one another so that everyone is treating each other kindly and building up and not tearing down. Verse 1, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and all purity. So again, building them up, being respectful of who they are. You know, our spiritual life is far more important, but we're all born into a physical life, and we know far more who we are as a physical person. And so we can all be sensitive in certain ways based on who we are in our flesh. And so he's saying, be, you know, be aware of these things so you do not hurt someone and in that way, dampen the growth of the spiritual life. Three, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So he's saying we need to take care of those who have accepted Christ and are in need. And widows in those times had no one to take care of them. They, you know, women most often didn't work. And so they, if, if their husband died, they would be in big trouble. And he's saying, so take care of them. However, if they have children, their, their family should be taking care of themselves first. So they're not taking from what we could give to other people. So we need to teach them how, how a godly family should be living, first and foremost. However, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God. So for, the, for these widows who, they've, they've come into Christ, they're believing in God, and they, they have nothing, we need to help take care of them. We need to be God's hands and feet for them. However, if someone is self-indulgent, all their care is for themselves, not for the Lord, they're dead even while they live. These are not our highest priority. Seven, command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So he says, don't have believers come in not taking care of their own, and, and, uh, and then they're, they're, wanting, they're wanting charity for their family when they're not taking care of their own, and they're, they're fully capable of it. Um, that these are worse than unbelievers, and they're they're supposed to be of the body of Christ. They they need to be disciplined and straightened out. 
So he gives some rules for which widows should be taken care of. And, you know, you don't want to hold on to these too tightly because there's always exceptions, but he's given general practices that she be at least 60 years old, having had only one husband, having a reputation for good works. Uh, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So in other words, she's living a godly life as unto the Lord, and, and but she has no means to take care of herself as, uh, as far as you know, money, physical needs. We need to take, help take care of her. However, 11, he says, refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger women, widows marry, bear children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any woman believe, sorry, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So there might have been women that were kind of going around taking money from the church and then going around and and you know according to what he's described here, living very sinful lives because they were able to be idle based on you know this this money that was being given to them. He says, don't support that kind of lifestyle. 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without pre prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are are not cannot remain hidden. So backing up, he says, uh, you know, be respectful and bless the elders, especially those who are preaching and teaching. He, he quotes the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Uh, and the laborer deserves his wages, saying that uh, these should be taken care of by the body. Uh, do not admit a charge against an elder. So he says, don't let people slander the elders. If, if multiple people are coming forth saying he did something, well, then you need to listen to it. Elders are not above reproach. But the enemy might want to attack the elder through some person willing to go that way. So don't even entertain that. He says sinners are to be rebuked. This is uh, not so common in today's churches. He says, so that the rest may stand in fear. He says, we need to be a holy people. And so rebuke the sinner. Paul says, these are serious things I'm telling you. I'm telling you these things in the presence of God, in the presence of Christ Jesus, and of the elect angels. So these are not small matters I'm telling you. 
And he says to keep to this way that I'm telling you. Don't prejudge what you think is right or wrong. But if it's according to this way that I'm teaching you, live according to this way. Do nothing from partiality. He says only lay hands on someone when, when the Spirit of God is leading you. Don't be quick to do so. And stay out of the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And he had earlier in this, this letter, he had said, you know, warn against drunkenness. But to Timothy, he says, you need to drink a little wine for your stomach every day. And he finishes this chapter saying, some people's sins are obvious, some show up much later. Just, you know, be aware and (laughs) wait on all things. He says, in the same way, good works are the same. Some are obvious, some are hidden. And then we're on to chapter six. And this first part is about uh, slaves. And uh, again, I think this is, since there's not a lot of slavery, I doubt there's a slave listening to this or a slave master listening to this. So I think it's better to think about this in our purposes as employer or employee. So I'll read it that way. Let all who are under a yoke as an employee regard their own employers as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing employers must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believed and beloved. So he says, realize that the spiritual nature of all relationships, don't disrespect your employer or your employee. He didn't say that, but he says it elsewhere. And, And do your work as unto the Lord. And then Paul begins to exhort him, saying, teach and urge these things. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, he doesn't agree with the Lord Jesus. It's not in accords with godliness. He's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He's getting caught up in quarrels and words which produce nothing. Uh, Envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant frictions among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. You know, there's quite often in this walk where we simply rest in the Lord and we know he's promised greater things to come and we're excited and looking forward for those things, that growth. But an important part of the way that he has us grow is to be still, still, to wait on him. Be still and know that I am God, he says. That we, through this process, we have endurance, patience, long-suffering worked out in us. Those are godly character traits. And how do, how do we develop them? By waiting on the Lord. And so sometimes that is exactly what is called for. We continue to pray, we continue to worship, we continue to study, we continue to share and fellowship. But we know that there's other things coming, and we simply wait on him. Might be days, weeks, months, or years. It might be many, many years, but we wait on him. Who is the one who's the father of faith? Abraham. He waited many decades. And Paul says, we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of the world. So what is this you're putting your hopes on? Wait on the Lord. Put your hopes on him. Realize that you are with him in the here and now. And that is the only great joy in life. Look for nothing else to satisfy you. So eight, he says, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires 
that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So he's saying, just as Jesus did, don't set your heart on riches. Um, he says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So he didn't say money, he said the love of money. And he said, is it causes a craving that causes people to wander away from the life of God. And so don't do it. It produces many senseless, harmful desires and leads to ruin and destruction. So that doesn't mean work for money, obviously. He, he tells that. But if we put our our focus, our desire, our contentment on some future riches, then we're, we've spoiled our, our current reality and we've gone off track. So our future is going to be much worse. So Paul says to Timothy in 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I never realized till I started doing this how long of sentences Paul writes because <laughs> I often have it in my mind I'm gonna stop when the sentence ends and it, this this sentence is part of one and then two three four five six seven part of so basically seven lines <laughs> it's a long sentence so this book he's setting up a lot of rules for godly living you know live according to these standards he's saying. Pursue this way, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, and put all your effort into this way, in this this work of the Lord that he puts before you. Have eternal life be what you live for, not the, the carnal, fleshly life around you. He says, I charge you before God that you live according to this way. And so this is a, a an eternal spiritual thing that I'm that I'm laying before you for you to act out and live out. He says, just think about what Jesus Christ went through. I, now he's depending on you, and your work is for his honor and his glory, eternal dominion. And then he has a word for the rich, um, and and I wonder, he, you can see he's. He, he's because he's talking quite a bit here about money and teaching. And on one hand, he's saying, look, you need to take care of those who are preaching and teaching need to be taken care of by the body uh, so that they're free to do that. He said, on the other hand, if they start doing it for money, they're way off track. So he's trying to form this middle place for Timothy to walk on. He's afraid Timothy will walk off the the wrong road the way that many teachers obviously have. You can see from the letters that these people are going around getting rich off teaching strange teachings. And so he's 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 trying to give this middle road to Timothy. And then 17 he says, as for the rich in this present age, you know, some some people are rich already. Some are rich when they come to the Lord, some can become rich. 
He says, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So he says, look, there's nothing wrong with being rich if you are rich. Use your rich to bless the work of the Lord and realize that it's simply a tool in your tool belt and that the life of God is separate from that. So if you're living your life for the for God, for Christ, in faith, by the Spirit, then the riches that you have can certainly be a blessing unto the Lord. If you realize everything is His and you're simply a steward, then it can be a huge blessing that he's given you to develop for the work of his kingdom. And so that's a good thing. But if it pulls you away from that kingdom, which, which is, as Jesus said, most often the case, it's a very bad thing. So store up treasure for yourself in heaven by realizing everything in your life is unto the Lord, including whatever wealth you have, and never set your heart on the fact that your wealth will take care of you in your present or in your future, but just realize it it's a tool, and it's the Lord that determines your present and your future. So take hold of that which is truly life, not anything in this physical world. Verse 20, O Timothy, guard and the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. So yeah, I guess he spends so much time with Timothy, he doesn't give a long ending like he normally does. He simply says, grace be with you. But he also says, guard the deposit entrusted to you. So this life of God Regard it as serious in your life. And he says, avoid those who babble, they have contradictions, and they talk about all this important knowledge that they have, but it's not the life of God. You can be puffed up with all kinds of knowledge. You can memorize the Bible and not have the life of God. So stick to that life, these core ways, and have knowledge only be just like the wealth we just talked about, only something that adds to that life never something that pulls you away from the true spiritual life into a life in the mind of fallen man. Don't let it swerve you from the faith. And grace be with you. That's how the book ends. And we'll pick up, uh, what, Second Timothy tomorrow. God bless you.